So delighted that you're worshiping with us in the house today and online. So thankful that we can be together. Isn't our God good? Amen, amen. You know, life is full of situations which seem to require us to decide up or down, yes or no, right or wrong. I want to show you a short video which gives us one example of this experience where an individual formed a judgment based on some things he had seen and some preconceptions, I suppose, and acted out on those judgments. Watch it with me. Twelve. 13, 14, 14, B. Here we are. Oh, it's not fitting. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. You're rubbing all up against me. Oh, I am so sorry. I'm just, I'm just having problems with my bag. It's not rocket science. Oh, here. Let me help you with that. Thank you so much. I don't know why they make these so complicated. They're not complicated. You're just not smart enough. Sir, that's not very nice. What? I'm just being honest. I mean, look at him. You know, you should never judge a book by its cover. There you go. All set. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, excuse me, do you mind if I get in? Do I have a choice? Hi, my name is Tom. It's nice to meet you. Nice book. How you like it? I, I, I'm trying to read. What did, what did you say now? Well, I, I'm sorry. I was just, just asking about the book you were reading. <laughs> okay. Well, it is called Advanced Physics, and it is by Thomas Watson, one of the most prestigious physics scholars in the entire world. And I would explain it to you, but I don't think you're smart enough to get it. Well, actually, I like physics, you, you see. You know what? I really don't want to be bothered. If you have a problem, call the flight attendant. Okay, I'm not here to babysit you. Hello, sir. Would you like some water? Hello again. Would you like some water? Sir, thank you. <laughs> you incompetent imbecile! I am so sorry. That was actually all my fault. Don't take the blame for him. I knew he was gonna be in trouble the second I saw him walk in. This, this is ridiculous. Nobody should have to sit next to this. You know what? I demand a new seat immediately. Um, okay. I'll go talk to the captain and see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do that. I'm glad we have an understanding. Oh my god. I'm, I'm so sorry. Can I have you clean that up? No. Clearly, you are not smart enough to do anything right. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, I've spoken to the captain. Great, did he find me a new seat? Even better. He's upgrading the ticket to first class. Ha <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. And thank goodness I don't have to spend the entire flight sitting next to you. I'll just grab the suitcase. Oh, no, no, that's not my suitcase. You got the wrong one. Oh, I'm sorry I wasn't more clear. The captain is actually upgrading his ticket to first class because we all agree he shouldn't have to sit next to someone like this. Wait, that's ridiculous. Excuse me, sir. How would you like to move to first class with us? We'd love to have you there. Wow, I, I love that. Great. The captain will be over shortly to personally escort you. I'll grab your bag. Thank you. 
Excuse me. And oh, by the way, that book is even better than the next chapter. What are you talking about? How would you know? Because I am Tom Thomas Watson. I wrote that book. Wait, you wrote it? I, I don't understand. Like, you, you don't look like somebody who... Well, I guess you should never judge a book by its cover. Mr. Watson, we have your seat ready for you. Great, I'm coming. Have a nice flight. As you've seen in the video, we sometimes make assumptions. We're not always the most insightful or caring in our responses. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit for each of us. You have a message for each one in this room, unique and personal. And I pray, Lord, that you would deliver it by your spirit. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If your family is anything like ours, after service, there's likely to be a conversation something like this. Where would you like to go to lunch? Which often is followed by, I don't care. And then someone might say, well, let's go to Red Robin or fill in the blank. It doesn't really matter. And you've got it. The response is, oh, not there. And then, of course, you ask, well, where would you like to go? Wait for it. The answer is, I don't care. In that one interchange, several judgments were made, and a simple thing became much more complex. Now, for our family, it may be different for yours, but for our family, depending on everyone's blood sugar at that point in the day, it may get ugly. On a more serious note, you may have come into the church this morning aware of a situation in someone's life, maybe a friend or a family member or a classmate or coworker or a neighbor who you know is acting in a way that you believe is wrong and will be detrimental to their lives. And you ask, do I have a responsibility to intervene? Have I earned the right to speak? Could it cost me the relationship if I speak up? Am I putting myself in the place of the Holy Spirit? Or am I being used of the Holy Spirit to minister to this individual? I'm sure you've noticed that we seem to be living in a culture, a society that seems full of encouragement, maybe beyond encouragement to expectation, that we will judge others and their motives. As we rejoin our summer series, Questions Jesus Asked, it's likely that some of us over the last couple of weeks have thought of some questions that we would like to ask Jesus. Things like, what will heaven really be like? Or, I've been asking this one this morning, why are there allergies? Or maybe, why are some people healed instantly and some people are not? Or, are we truly in the last days? Or one of my favorite questions, why do we drive on parkways and park on driveways? Now, I know that's silly, but as I reflect on it, 
I believe that we will be so awed and overcome with joy in the presence of Jesus that all of our questions will seem foolish. Our, our focus in this series has been on questions that Jesus is asking you and me today. The same questions that were asked 2,000 years ago. Throughout his earthly ministry, we see instances where Jesus answered a question by asking another question. Now, I have a keen insight into the obvious for you. He didn't do that because he didn't know the answer. As we have seen in the past couple of weeks, Jesus asked questions because they were more likely to spur change in the lives of his hearers. I had a personal experience with that when I was very new in the ministry. I came into the ministry differently than some with an MBA and a background as a business executive, but no formal Bible training to speak of. I gained that education in my first years in ministry, but early in that process, I was attending a luncheon for ministers in the San Francisco Bay Area where I was on staff in a local church. I was griping to the person next to me about the fact that many of my friends in ministry had advanced degrees in Bible knowledge or in Bible or in ministry-related degrees. And I was sitting with a master's in business administration and kind of moaning about it. Well, the person that was sitting next to me was a retired minister who had pastored several great churches and enjoyed a, a wonderful reputation in ministry. Just a really, really wise and good man. And he said one sentence to me that changed my perspective and in many ways my ministry going forward. He said this, Pat, what is it that you know that God can't use? Wow. It, it proved to be a profound question that was penetrating. I have to admit that I went back that, to my church that day with a renewed focus and seven-plus years later, I was tapped to become the president of Church Extension Plan to serve in a role that required me to bridge ministry and business and bring them together. And I was able to see God use the skill set and the background in a new way, in a dynamic way. I was privileged to serve in that role for 34 years and to see, the great results, see great results in helping churches across America to thrive by God's goodness. The Questions Jesus Asked series will challenge us all to examine ourselves and grow closer to God through the answers that reveal the condition of our faith journey. Now today, we're going to see how Jesus confronted the same kinds of judgmental attitudes going on in his day that we see in our culture today. At the end of our time this morning, I hope that you'll see how the teaching Jesus focused on in today's scripture is a key to both our church mission to know him and make him known and your personal story of upright living without the hypocrisy of acting like the religious elite. So I have a question for you. Have you ever made a snap judgment? The sort that's made kind of in the heat of the moment if so, do you wish you hadn't acted on that judgment? I had that experience, and it proved to me one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Years ago, Connie and I were headed to an outdoor wedding down by Coos Bay, and we weren't sure 
when we got to the coast road if the park that we were supposed to go to was to the south or to the north. As it happened, and God is good this way, as we got to the intersection, there was a visitor center directly across the road. And I thought, great. So I cut across the road, pulled into the parking lot, and it had parallel parking stripes. So I pulled into a parallel spot, and just as we parked, a car pulled in right next to us. Well, as I parked and shut the car down, I was in a hurry to get in and get directions. So I, I looked out the window, and I saw the lady in the passenger seat in the car next to us looking directly at me. So I started to open my door, and just as I did, she swung her door open. So I pulled the door back, and in that instant, I concluded that she was careless, selfish, and kind of pushy. And I said rather loudly, what, are you blind? You're ahead of me. The moment the words left my mouth, I saw this dear lady begin to unfurl her white cane. You know those collapsible ones? Ever felt like crawling in a hole? Now, I have to tell you, my beautiful, super supportive wife put it all in perspective in just two words. You know, wives are good at that. Just two words. Nice one. <laughs> Today in our series, we're focused on Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. The passage begins with a statement in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. It seems in our mixed up, messed up, deceived society, the only thing that many people consider to be wrong is having the audacity to stand up and say that some things are wrong. Judge not is being misused as a prop to prop up a lot of things that are as wrong as they can be. So we need to understand what the Lord is talking about here and in the questions that follow. But we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do that, there's another issue that I think needs to be addressed. Leaders know the axiom, words create worlds. The words we use in our everyday lives help to create and shape the culture we live in. Just look at the whole cancel culture movement for context, a real attempt to reshape our culture. Sometimes inaccurate and hurtful phrases become so frequently used and so commonly accepted that they need to be corrected. I believe the term my truth is one of those phrases and it should be corrected. You've likely heard someone say, this is my truth or know your truth. We should really stop saying that. You may have, uh, you may have to catch yourself uh, because it's one of those phrases that seems to have caught on in a lot of circles, and one of those statements that people use without even really knowing what they're saying or why they're doing so. But you see, your truth and my truth may not be the truth. And that's not my truth, that's the truth. The phrase, my truth, usually means some combination of my opinion and my experience, it implies an unarguable quality. You can't contradict me because this is my truth. Except I can because there's no such thing as my truth. Now quickly, there are two main reasons that, to remove the term my truth from our vocabulary. First, it's not logical. 
Remember, just because I insist something is true doesn't make it so. And of course, we recognize that there are multiple views or interpretations of the truth, but there's still only one truth. Declaring my truth gives the inaccurate and unhelpful perception that truth is changing. It is not. Secondly, it's unscriptural. Maturing as a Christian involves desiring God's truth, not designing our own. Like Adam and Eve, we can insist it's our right to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to decide what is right and good and what is not. But that is error. The true Christian life is liberating because we don't have to build our lives on our truth. We have the inspired word of God, the truth. Jesus said in John 8.32 that we should know the truth and the truth will set us free. This whole judging others matter is a concept that is very important to God. There are many Bible references, but here are a few. In Luke 6.37 we read, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then in Romans 14.13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And lastly, in James 5.9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Judge not, however, does not mean that anything goes. It does not mean that we put man's wishes over God's word. Jesus is not telling us here that we should approve or condone sin. Some people try and use those words to support an anything-goes morality. You've no doubt heard it. Don't judge me. But God always takes a firm stand against sin. The mandate to avoid judging others and their motives is clear, and yet in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're told to test everything, speaking of discernment. You see, there are two different contexts here. The first form, judgment, is in the context of condemnation. If I were to judge someone, say they're in sin, and I would say, they're hopeless, they're doomed. Nothing can save them. Well, I've sinned by condemning them and passing judgment over them. If I were to look at a person and think less of them because of their sins, that would be another condemning judgment. The second context is discernment or testing everything. It's the context of understanding. So that in any given situation, I may apply love to a certain extent, truth to a certain extent, grace to a certain extent, and encouragement to an extent. You see, you and I study the scriptures daily to be ready to give an answer in life situations as they come our way. Albert Barnes, the American theologian, said that the Lord meant rash and unjust judgment. He meant the habit of, of forming a judgment hastily, harshly, and without an allowance for mitigating circumstances. What the Lord forbids here is a critical, fault-finding attitude that moves us to condemn people without the facts 
and without remembering our own weaknesses. This is the core teaching of this entire passage. Let me state that again. What the Lord forbids here is a critical, fault-finding attitude that moves us to condemn people without the facts and without remembering our own weaknesses. God never wants us to judge other people in the wrong ways, and he gave us some good reasons why that is so. First, Jesus tells us not to judge because of the boomerang effect. When we judge others in the wrong way, then just like a boomerang, our harsh, unmerciful judgment is coming back on us. And we see this boomerang effect in verses 1 and 2 where it says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Have you ever thrown a boomerang? If you do it correctly, it will come back to you. Now, when I've done it, I usually end up looking in the trees. But if you do it correctly, it'll come back to you. Well, this verse is very much like that. If we are judgmental, if we're putting out that kind of a, an attitude, we can expect to receive that back. The truth is that we are not to judge that way. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Since we all need the rich mercy of God, we all need to be merciful, don't we? That's why author Max Lucado, the great Bible teacher, once said, we aren't good enough to judge. Can the hungry accuse the beggar? Can the sick mock the ill? Can the, the blind judge the deaf? In the same way, can the sinner condemn the sinner? Absolutely not, Max said. And he went on to say this, be careful. The Peter who denies Jesus at tonight's fire may proclaim him with fire at tomorrow's Pentecost. The Samson who is blind and weak today may use his final strength to level the pillars of godlessness. And the murderer on the run may turn out to be a Moses for the next generation. The truth is that all of us need a lot of mercy. We need to judge other people's actions with a lot of mercy. Jesus tells us not to judge harshly others because of the boomerang effect. He also tells us not to judge because of our spiritual blindness. The Lord talked about our spiritual blindness in verses 3 through 5. Here Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, and, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How, or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck out of your eye, and look, a plank is in your eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. The speck, or moat in the King James Version, was a dry twig, or a piece of straw, or a splinter. And the plank, or beam, was a log used in the construction of a house. Jesus is reminding us here that it is usually a whole lot easier to notice other people's sins rather than our own. We can see the little splinter in our brother's eye, or at least we think we can, and when at the same time we're clueless about the huge log in our own eye. The fact is, you and I seldom have the whole story about what's going on in someone else's life. Chuck Swindoll, a great Bible teacher, 
got a painful reminder of this truth when he was speaking at a Christian retreat in California years ago. The first day, a man came up to him and told him he had looked forward all of his life to hearing Dr. Swindoll speak publicly, in person. That evening, Swindoll noticed the man sitting near the front, but a few minutes into the message, the man was sound asleep. Now, that's not too encouraging for a preacher, not that I'm looking around. But Chuck thought maybe the man was tired after a long drive, so he cut him some slack and just figured he couldn't help himself. But then the same thing happened the next night and the next night and every other night. So Chuck got annoyed. He thought, what is with this guy? But then on the very last night, the man's wife came up to Dr. Swindoll and apologized for her husband's lack of attention. And she explained that he had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer and that the pain medication he was given made him extremely sleepy. But it had been one of his lifelong ambitions to hear Dr. Swindoll speak in person before he died. And now her husband had fulfilled that goal. Now, Chuck had the wisdom not to say anything out loud, but think of what was going on in his mind and his heart. Because he had formed a judgment about this man based on what he saw, but didn't have the whole story. We must be careful about judging others because we can never see the whole story. You can never see the entire picture of someone else's life. You don't know the experiences that have brought them to that moment. You don't know what they're dealing with or what they have dealt with or what pain or hurt they have. We're often blinded by our own sin, but we're also spiritually blind about where another person may be. So we're blind spiritually both about ourselves and about others. This is one of the key reasons why Jesus tells us not to judge others. Thirdly, he also tells us not to judge because God wants us to bless other people. I mean, that's why we're here, folks, to be a blessing. The Lord showed us this truth in verse 5 when he said, Hypocrite, first remove the speck or the plank from your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, having a hypocritical spirit blinds us to our own faults. We may say something like, other people have anger issues. We just have justified frustration. Uh, Other people are jerks, but we're just having a bad day. Other people have a critical spirit, but we're simply telling it like it is. Other people are pushy, but we're goal-oriented. Hypocritical judging sees the actions of others in a different light than our own. When we see other people's actions differently than we see ourselves, we need to step back and think about that. Remember that people who are struggling with sinful behavior are often hurting people. Jesus said they're like people with a splinter in their eye. And if you ever had something like that in your eye, you know it hurts a lot. At one time, Jesus went and had uh, a meal with some tax collectors and sinners. And the religious lead of the day were upset about that. They, what is this all about? And Jesus said to them, the ill need a doctor. It's the same today. People who are hurting often just need compassion. 
They need a little love. We can help people, but not if we get sidetracked judging them. And not if we refuse to take care of our own sin problems. Jesus said the first step for us is to remove the plank for our own eye. We all need forgiveness. And Jesus met that need when he died on the cross for our sins. The Lord took all the punishment for our sins. And now the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, offers salvation to anyone who will open their heart to receive him as their Lord and Savior. Our vision as a church is to know him and make him known. And this mandate for all of us is in a nutshell why the Lord spoke so strongly to us in Matthew 7, 5 when he referred to the religious elite of his day as hypocrites. It's a strong word. The religious elite in the Bible and today can blunt the gospel message. I mean, just think about it. If people's church has a reputation or had a reputation of being a very judgmental place, do you think people would come in seeking help? I don't think so. So we have a responsibility as individuals to represent the church well by getting this judgmental spirit out of our lives. You see, the, the religious elite have Pharisee-like faith. They look good on the outside, but they're train wrecks on the inside. We should choose to have a transparent faith that relies on the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We need to take care of our own sin problems so that God can use us to bless others. If we use the Word of God properly, rightly dividing it, there's tremendous guidance there for us. When I was a youth pastor, back when dirt was new, um, I used to refer to the Bible as the user's manual. And quite frankly, I did it because the young people I was ministering to kind of connected with that. But it's really true, isn't it? We were created with a purpose. And there is a manual, the Word of God, the very Word of God, to guide us and instruct us and help us to make right choices, smart choices, godly choices, loving choices. We can take care of our own sin problems when we do that. And then we can bless others. Verse 6 reminds us of how another way we can help others. It tells us, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, on first reading, you might look at that and say, wow, that seems kind of harsh. So is that judgment after we're told not to judge? But see... When you really think about it, you have to acknowledge that, yes, some people's hearts are so hard, they're not ready to receive the gospel. They're not ready to receive the very word of God. So the more scripture you throw at them, the more barrier they put up. So how do we minister to those people? Well, we need to lovingly meet them where they are without judgment and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, to woo them, to open their hearts and lives, to receive the word of God, to open the, their lives to the saving opportunity to accept Jesus into their lives. But if we become judgmental, we're going to blunt that opportunity. 
It's important. It's vital. Nothing can help people more than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, coupled with the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we encounter that person that's really hard and just unwilling, what do we do? Well, first, we love them. We accept them where they are. But in our quiet time, we pray earnestly for the Holy Spirit to move in their lives, to open them to the wonder of God's Word, to woo them close, to love them into the kingdom. That's when life change occurs. We can help people by getting God's Word to them here in Salem and around the world if we will do it with an open, compassionate heart. Back in the 1930s, in a town called Stavropol in Russia, the communist dictator Stalin ordered all Bibles to be confiscated. He also ordered all Christians to be rounded up and sent to prison camps. Now, miraculously, most of those Bibles were not destroyed. But tragically, many of the Christians died in those camps as enemies of the state. As you know from your history lessons, in the 1990s, communism collapsed. And in 1994, a mission team went to Stavropol. Sadly, the new Bibles they had ordered were held up in shipping. But someone told them about a warehouse outside of town where those confiscated Bibles were still stored. Imagine, almost 60 years later. Amazingly, the team not only got permission to go to the warehouse, but they got permission to pass those Bibles out. So they hired several local men to help them load the trucks. One of those young men was very hostile to the gospel. But he came to, for that day of work and for the money they were offering. Not long after they started working, they were looking around for this kid, and they couldn't find him. Later, they found him crying in the corner of the warehouse with a Bible in his hands. You see, that young man had decided to steal a Bible for himself. But when he... I, I love our God and his love for people. When he pulled the Bible off the shelf to steal it and opened it, he saw his grandmother's signature. You see, it was her Bible and she had died in the camps. That moment impacted him, and he opened himself to a loving relationship with God. He may have been the last person they thought would get saved that day, the very last, but God had a plan for that young Russian's life, and he has a plan for your life today. We are here for one reason in the family of God. Jesus saved us nothing that we could do. He transformed us, and he gave us the ability to begin living a different life from the one that we used to live. To be consistent with the wonderful Savior that we have met, everything we do must be bathed in love. Remember what I mentioned earlier. What the Lord forbids is a critical, fault-finding attitude that moves us to condemn people without the facts and without remembering our own weaknesses. There is mercy and forgiveness for everyone who will receive it. There is mercy in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus took our judgment when he died on the cross for us. Now we simply must trust the risen Christ as our Lord and Savior 
and then begin living with the mercy that we have received. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you have come in here this morning and after listening, you have concluded, you know, maybe, Pastor Pat, I've got a case of plank eye going on. Maybe I have a bit of a judgmental spirit. Maybe a lot of a judgmental spirit. Well, we serve a God who died on the cross and had victory over death in his resurrection, who paid the price so that we can freely go to the Lord for forgiveness for those attitudes. It takes two steps. Step one is we need to repent. We need to change direction, make a choice that I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be judgmental. I want to have a different attitude. And then for, to request forgiveness because we have a, a God who is faithful to forgive us. We're going to pray for you at the end here, but just hold on for a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never opened your life to the saving relationship you can have personally with Jesus Christ, today may be your morning. So I want to give you an invitation. If you've come in here and you are away from the Lord, you've never made a first-time commitment of your life to Christ, now is your time. So if that's you, slip your hand up and put it down. We're not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'd like to be able to pray for you at the end here. Look at all across. Any hands? Thank you. Thank you. Join me in prayer, will you? Father, we are so thankful that we can come to you knowing that you care for us. We're thankful that your word is a light unto our feet. Help us, Lord, to walk in that light. If we've come in here with a judgmental attitude, a judgmental spirit, and we want to be rid of that, we repent, Lord. We want to turn in a different direction and have a different attitude, a different outlook. Help us by your Holy Spirit. We ask for your forgiveness, which we know you freely give, and we receive it in Jesus' name. And for those who may need to make a statement of their faith in Christ, I pray that in their hearts they will pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm far from you and I need you. Come into my life. I want you to walk with me each and every day. I want to be a new person today because of all you have done for me. I accept your death and resurrection as payment and I look forward to a life walking with you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.